I'm going to be speaking from Matthew chapter 7. If you want to turn there, I'll read the passage. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. So the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own? Hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. And if, uh, if you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Well, that's a light-hearted verse for this morning. Bet you're glad you came to church. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your way. We thank you for your life that illuminates this word. God, your way that shows us the way. And we pray this morning that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is saying, Lord, that we would open up these passages and recognize your voice as we attempt this morning to be your sheep, to follow you. Amen. The second part of that passage, sometimes we read separately from the first. It's in a separate paragraph probably in the Bible that you have. But we shouldn't be mistaken. It's actually part of the conversation. It's part of the same passage of speech. And it's not only part of the same passage of speech, it's clearly linked to the part before. And so that's why I've included that there. Do not judge. I read while I was preparing for this message that this is the most quoted Bible text by non-Christians. So it's the most commonly known if you ask people who are not familiar with church to quote anything from Scripture, this is what they would quote more than likely or more often than not. Um, Apparently, in Western Christian countries, John 3.16 is probably the most likely that someone would quote if you ask them that question, if they're from a church background. But this is the text outside of the church that is most often quoted. Probably necessarily so. This is also a passage that we like at times and don't at other times. It's a passage that... Well, let me tell you a story. I went to a um, conference at the beginning of this year, our national, um, national conference, and there were a couple of speakers that I was really looking forward to and, uh, and a couple that maybe I could take or leave. And one that I was actually kind of along for the ride. You know, it, like, it's like you go along kind of to see how bad it's going to be. 
Um, that was the attitude I went in uh, to this session with. Never a good place or, you know, state of mind to go into uh, a gathering of any sort, by the way. So, um, you know, uh, good thing we follow the example of Jesus and not necessarily our pastors all the time. Um, but this was me going into this, uh, this session. Uh, the pastor, or the preacher, was from a big church in the US, um, like a really big church in the US, um, like Joel Osteen's church big. And, um, and this pastor from that church was sharing at our conference, um, I assume just the same as all the others, um, you know, all the other international speakers that come and just bring, you know, a text from the Bible, bring a message. I didn't know he'd been asked to speak specifically because of the ministry. See, I didn't actually think to look or find out what this person was about. I immediately assumed that uh, from <laughs> no good can come from fill in the blank. <laughs> right. And so I went in and uh, and sat while this pastor explained his personal story of having a child who, um, when they were about a year old, became very clear that the child, um, you know, was not developing the same as other kids his age um, and was eventually diagnosed with a whole series of developmental um, and genetic, or, or like a genetic disorder that led to a whole lot of developmental uh, conditions. And, and he explained a bit about his journey and, you know, we've, I've heard preachers talk about stories, you know, where they experience their own personal hardship and often there's something, you know, um, very real in that. Um, but there was something that went beyond that story that he was telling as he explained that the ministry that he had sought from that point was not just to have his child included in church as the child grew older, but he actually recognised the potential for this church that he was a part of to impact the global Christian community and prepare them and equip them to be able to do the same. And so out of this experience of starting a ministry in his own church that meant that kids with additional needs were not put in a special program or barely catered for so that they could, you know, so that the parents could be in church, but actually so that programs were written for them in their Sunday school classes so that they were part of the group being considered as the lessons were being prepared, so that the spaces were equipped with uh, uh, things that would help uh, their mobility needs, things that would even help therapeutically the same way we would seek to bring things into the space for all of our kids so that they enjoy being in that space, so that they get something good out of being in that space, so that they leave that space better than the way that they came. He sought to have 
kids, not just his son, but friends in his son's class, um, people that he met through support groups and things like that, started inviting them into church and they fitted out their church with an entire, uh, the, the kids' church had a whole room for, um, you know, occupational therapy and, um, and special facilities for kids who had, um, you know, things that they needed uh, during that time that they'd be in kids' church and then started a ministry funded by that big church that I and my fantastic attitude going into that sermon thought no good could come from. Started this ministry that now helps fund churches all around the world that otherwise wouldn't have the capacity or the resources to be able to do that sort of thing. And so all over the world, there are now churches equipped to bring kids into those spaces. And not just to have them there, not just to make allowance for them, but to actually be something that looks like the kingdom where those kids leave that place better than when they came in. I wonder if there's a story that you can think of where you decided before you heard too much. Maybe you walked in thinking you knew what something was about. I'm not saying that we're not supposed to exercise discernment. I'm not saying that there aren't things that are not right. I, I still have a real struggle with some of the way that some of those churches go about, you know, the whole prosperity gospel thing kind of freaks me out a bit. I, there is not, this is not to say that we don't exercise some discernment. But this word, when it says, do not judge, it actually means something different. It doesn't mean do not discern. Do not decide. Do not use wisdom. It doesn't even mean do not correct. Do not call to be better. But this word judge actually has eternal connotations. The word means to condemn. Not just condemn the actions of but quite literally, to believe or to condemn to hell. As in, to decide in ourselves and make a judgment call on the spiritual or eternal state of another person. This is the command. Is do not judge. The hard bit comes for you too, will be judged. Because how can we receive a kingdom where God says, I do not come to condemn? Where He says that His desire is that all will be saved, that all are invited in? How can we receive that kind of kingdom? If we decide, someone else can't.
and with the same measure that you use will be measured to you. Have you ever noticed when you get caught up in that frame of mind? It gets very hard to feel free. It gets very hard to be able to actually live into your own forgiveness, freedom, whatever those... Because once you've established that someone else doesn't make the cut, something else, you know, rules someone out, then the question has to be, well, I, I better avoid going there. I better... Uh, instead of how do I live the life that God has called me to, we suddenly flip that and start going, how do I not become what is condemned and by our own judgment we actually get caught up in our own condemnation we are called to seek the kingdom to hunger and thirst for righteousness so you don't separate this passage from the ones that we've read before and all of those things that are being quoted that reflect on the scriptures that are being reflected from like Isaiah from the Old Testament the things that are being quoted here so that when they, the text is opened up they are immediately Calling, recalling all of those stories and all of those passages that say that God is a God that seeks justice, that God is a God that desires that his people walk in righteousness. This isn't to say that we just go, all is good. We never actually need to say anything. But actually invites us into a space where instead of condemning someone or something that we can actually have a conversation. I think that if you watch conversations, and I don't want to even call them political conversations, but things that impact the way that we interact with each other, things that are important in our you know, st structure of society, the way that we live today, if we look at conversations about our differences of opinion on those things, there are two ways that those conversations play out. One holds the attitude no good can come from. And one calls the other brother or sister. And from that place can actually hold some kind of conversation, not to say that a person will always receive or good always comes out of it, but there are definitely two types of conversations that we witness. And the instruction here is that if we're following Jesus, that we should be seeking to be in this place, not to judge We're given a little bit 
of practical insight in how to do that. And this, I think, is so much of why the Christian world actually has caused those that aren't in church to not want a whole lot to do with Christians at all. Because instead of assessing the plank in our own eye, corporately we've been busy calling out anything that's not in our own eye, basically. I mean, that's a lot more comfortable, right? But the challenge here is that we're to spend the majority of our time something that looks like a plank or a log, depending on the translation, compared to something that looks like a splinter or a speck. Because when we are transformed, we become people that actually invite others into that. All the calling out in the world of what's wrong gets us nowhere unless sometimes it comes from a space where someone has earned that platform or space because of the way that they reflect this kingdom, this gospel. It doesn't mean we don't seek to correct what isn't right. This is the how to do it. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So it's not that we don't. Someone once quoted, and I think it's a good, especially on social media, kind of balancing point. Is like how many of the passages that deal with Jesus' life are ones where he um, is literally or figuratively turning over tables and how many he's walking with people. Grace and mercy. And the balance looks something like a log versus a speck. Yes, it's there. Yes, it's necessary. But what made Jesus someone that had the space to be able to say something like that in the temple or otherwise where people heard what he said and recognised it as truth is the fact that everything in his life up to that point had looked like what he was saying it should look like. This last little bit is as simple as actually referring to that group of people that it was better for them to be dealing with the things concerning their own actions rather than attempting to take what was supposed to be for them 
to teach them how to live and throwing it out into the world where no one was concerned for those things, where they were yet to see what they were supposed to be seeking. And so because of that, it's rejected. If we read this wrong, and especially if we read it separate, it sounds like a judgment that we're to decide who's good enough to hear the word of God. But this is a metaphoric picture that says, don't take what was meant for us here and throw that outside where it's not going to be received. And what he's talking about is the desire for correction isn't talking about all of the goodness of God and the, the, you know, sharing the good news. It isn't talking about all of this message. It is a comment on the passage before. Don't take those things that, you know, that discernment and correction that we're to bring together and actually walk together in as the body of Christ. And take that to those who haven't committed to following Jesus. Maybe it's even a warning that if we do try to walk this way, to those that will not follow the way of Jesus, that this will be the response. important always to see where and why something's being said especially when it looks like it doesn't fit with who Jesus is I think it's a good sign that we probably need to dig deeper sometimes it's because we need to dig deeper in ourselves and actually recognize that we haven't seen or we need to correct something sometimes it's because on a surface level the way that it's read or been given to the church or been read at face value when you open up your bible when we look at it through jesus and it doesn't fit we continue to dig and it doesn't fit then it's important to search and look Like, why is that being said? Why does it feel out of place? Where is it being said and what could it be related to that, you know, if I just read it on its own, I don't realise, but when I read it right after what it's commenting on and understand that it's talking about that, this is how... This is why we teach some of these things in a series one following the other, why we come to these passages, having started with the Beatitudes, because we can put it in its context. If it is true that if we walk in judgment, condemning others, that it brings a kind of bondage 
that we were not supposed to be caught up in. And it's also true, if we get a hold of the understanding of the grace of God and we begin to walk in that, that there is a freedom that comes from that. There is a freedom that comes when all the discernment and all the wisdom and all the understanding can sit comfortably behind the first, putting the first thing first, which is the love of God and love of others. There is a freedom that comes when everything is measured through that. Not through getting it perfectly right. Not through figuring out who's on the right side first. If we go into every conversation with the first thing first, we can trust that this text that we're going to go into next week, that if we seek, we'll find. We can have faith that if we go in recognizing that every person is loved and valued by God no matter what side of any fence they sit on because it's not not our job to make it right actually when we put aside condemnation and receive grace for ourselves, we recognise that it's only by the grace of God through Jesus. That it's only by his grace that we're made right and it will only be by his grace that the world is made right and we can suddenly leave behind our own you know, getting caught up in a mission to save a world or a mission to condemn it. Either way, we're free of that when we lean into the grace of God. That means receiving grace for ourselves, recognising that we're invited into the same measure of grace as those that we would probably quickly condemn if we weren't. trying to follow Jesus. We're even better at learning and growing if we can enter into a conversation that way. We're certainly better at connecting with people. Think about the people that have ever changed your mind on anything. Was it ever the one-sided condemnation call-out? Was it someone who you just about thought was on the same train of thought but just encourages a little to say, have you thought about Or is it someone who graciously steps out of their own perspective to understand something of yours and then invites you back into theirs? He is not 
the judgment calls that change the world. It's grace. I've been reading and writing on and um, preparing for my next paper and looking at the church's understanding throughout history of, uh, of what we meet for, what we gather for uh, as a Christian community. And I, mean, I thought uh, it was kind of a, an assumption that thought I should check it out before you write it in a research paper. So uh, looking at what are the universal practices or the things that the church has held to across the board And there's one practice that the church, through all the ages, through every denomination, any church that confesses Jesus as the Son of God and believes in following him, has one practice in varying states, but one practice that it's held to. Anyone want to guess what it is? Correct. The second interesting kind of paradox is that because it's so widely practiced and been so universally adopted, a lot of churches don't ever really talk about why they do it. A lot of Christians don't necessarily talk about why to the point where it's been a conversation and even a quiet move away from weekly to monthly to maybe sometimes even the more traditional churches don't always hold Eucharistic masses they have different kinds of services that don't. And so for the first time, there are church gatherings that can go a long time. For the first time in history, I mean, there are places where very rarely recognized. If this is the place where we learn that we desire grace, uh, that we require grace the same way any other person coming to this table. What does the church look like as we begin to forget that? Becomes a church that judges, becomes a church that decides some are in, some are out. If we practice this in a way that says it's just about me and my God. Okay. And I jokingly said, um, we're not um, at surrender, that, you know, a mass produced plastic cup with a, you know, cut out wafer attached to the top of it is an interesting story about the church. 
because we can have our individual communion. There's no shared cup or broken bread. Just us and God. And so therefore the grace of God is only measured by our own idea of what requires grace and what doesn't. But when you share a meal with someone, it's very hard not to at least encounter something about what life has been like for them. To learn what's hurt them, what's been hard for them, what's been good. Sometimes even having to reconsider what is in our own lives contributing to that. You can't eat a meal without learning something about someone. You can't share a meal. There's a vulnerability about sharing a meal with someone. I don't know. Maybe there's something in that. But we would remember that we require grace and forgiveness. And if we were to come to this table weekly and recognise, not get caught up in judging condemning if we were to practice this in a way that meant that we are consciously aware that everyone is welcome at this table we're encouraged to put aside our condemnation recognising that we need grace just the same I think that's why this is so fundamentally important to the church. Because grace is fundamentally important to the church. This is recognizing what Jesus does in our life. Um, ask the band to come up, or maybe just um, keyboards, or table. As we come around the table today, you take a moment to maybe consider one of those stories where you felt like you went in thinking one way and someone proved you wrong and recognise that we're not only called to repent when someone proves us wrong, we're invited to recognise that none of the people that we judge or exclude should be judged or excluded by us. Whether they prove us right or wrong. Because sometimes that story goes just the way that you imagine it will. The thing is, Jesus still says the same thing. Do not judge. Use wisdom. Sure, discern. Sure, take action where necessary. Absolutely. Now, this isn't something that means we can allow things that are wrong to continue. but an invitation 
by God to be free of being the one that condemns. To come and receive grace. So let's stand, church. And as we prepare to receive, let's ask that you close your eyes. We just confess this morning. So maybe you hold that situational moment in your life where you've made that judgment call or maybe it's something that you feel like you, you know, no good can come from. Maybe you recognise that as a church we haven't always done so well with the do not judge bit. We've taken what was meant to be for us to learn and grow together. And we've imposed that on others outside instead of addressing the plank in our own eye. Lord, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed by what we've done and what we've left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart, not loved our neighbours, the stranger, our enemy, as you first loved us. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness today. Sorry. Help us, Lord, teach us to walk in your will, to do things your way, by the power of your Holy Spirit the glory of your name. Amen. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have just come for the first time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus, and you who have just decided to follow Jesus today, come. Let nothing keep you from love's feet. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now, if necessary, go be a forgiver, then run back, because it is the Lord who invites us. It is God's will that those who desire Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit would encounter him here. So come. Oh, yes, God. Yeah, we love the way that you lead us, Lord. And I'm just so um, so reminded about when I first came to know you and, and sometimes I was so full of that passion about this great truth that we found out and and often it is that it's almost not like a, um, a lack of patience where we want to have that smart uh, retort and, ha-ha, I got you now, and, and win the argument. But, uh, Lord, I see the way that you move, the way you walk alongside, uh, journey with people through the toughest stuff. And, um, yeah, I'm so reminded about the way that you wash people's feet and... Um, yeah, it's not my job to judge, Lord, but uh, my job is to love. I just um, 
just reminded of a time when when my family went through a really hard time and the pastor that was spending time with our family I kind of tried to imagine um, as I aspired to be a pastor how I'd look after a family going through uh, a similar or a same thing and uh, I said to him, I said to him, oh, how do you know what to say? And he said, oh, it's funny because even if you said the right thing, they wouldn't remember that. But um, what they do remember is that you were there. And um, yeah, so church, as you go out, yeah, be there for the ones that you rub shoulders with, so to speak, quick to listen. Let's wash some feet, hey, sanctuary. Yeah, so we're going to finish off with our benediction. I love this. Church, we come as we are, but we are sent out not the same. Sanctuary, he speaks over us a new name to bless and rebuild the city. So we go, broadcast good news for the poor. Let the blind see, set free the oppressed, live jubilee, let it be in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom of mercy. Amen. Amen.